Welcome to Side Talks. The what, what Side Talks? Well, it's the podcast where we talk about all things cinema. Okay. Uh, good to know. What's your name? What's your name? <laughs> My name's Corey Kraft. I'm a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and uh, upcoming Sidewalk Cinema. And I'm Morgan Rachel. I'm trying that. Do you like it better? No. Um, well, anyway. We've that been, was confusing. Hey, listen. Forgive us. We've been screening our faces off for weeks, <laughs> weeks, weeks. So this is just a sad little podcast today. I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. Let's do this podcast. Let's do it. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. So... It's time for a five-minute fight. I've rolled up my sleeves. I mean, okay. I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt, but I rolled them up. Start the clocks. All right. What are we talking about? What we're are we talking, arguing about? We're, ta- we're arguing about Anne Hathaway. Oh, I'm bored. I'm so bored already. You said her name and I got bored. You fell asleep. You yes. literally just fell asleep. I cannot believe that you are going to fight in defense of Anne Hathaway. Now, I am so sorry because, you know, you know me. I'm all about, like, let's support women, um, but I cannot support Anne Hathaway. Um, remember that really lame, like, wardrobe malfunction she had, like, that seemed like maybe intentional so she could get edgy? No. Um, Gosh, I can't believe I'm on a podcast accusing a woman of intentionally having a wardrobe malfunction. I should really probably retract that. and But I will replace it with this and say that Anne Hathaway is the equivalent of one of those packages of orange crackers that you see at the gas station. You don't really want that. They're always around. Like, they're very dull. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, well, I, a friend <laughs> of and defender of all women, uh, am oh, here to, uh, unlike Rachel, uh, oh, speak in defense of, of Anne Hathaway, who is a, an, an exceptional young actress. Have you read her IMDb page? Because it's boring. It is dull. It's a, it's a list of, of movie titles that's by uh, nature boring. Uh, what yes, are you talking about? Movie titles like The Princess Diaries. I'm so tired I of don't it. Ca- I don't care about her like teeny bopper Disney beginnings what do you care care about about? what do you Uh, care about starting at about brokeback mountain which i would say she's pretty safely fourth out of four lead actors in. yeah i mean she's Um, barely in it she's she's no she's no michelle williams who that was (laughs) kind of her breakout Um, how dare we even mention michelle williams in the same four minutes that's a law they've just passed a law (laughs) you can't mention michelle williams name within four minutes of mentioning Anne hathaway's name i'm sorry but you can't okay well uh you're fired send me to jail i guess um uh she's she's really good she's really solid in a lot of uh movies usually usually though uh not the showiest part not the showiest performance but solid backup a good foil to people like meryl streep in the devil wears prada or other people you in really other okay so you're hanging your hat on the devil no i'm not i'm right hanging, now, hanging my hat on jonathan demi's rachel getting married which is an oh, exceptional movie an exceptional lead performance from her i think she's very good in two pretty disparate movies in which she does exactly what's needed um as Catwoman in the Dark Knight Rises, a movie I've got a lot of problems oh with. Oh my otherwise. gosh! Really? And in, in Les Misérables, which is her Oscar-winning performance. Okay, well, well you know, I'm not going to argue with Les Misérables. Like, I just don't. I'm not. I, I'm be honest. I'm not qualified to argue that. Fine, let her do that. But the, you know, everything else on her IMDb page is not good. What is this? The recent film, The Hustle. Yes. Yeah, that it's was a so terrible movie. Turn up. 
It's so over the top. Um, I mean, I actually will say that that's her best work, and that is so sad that I'm saying you're, that that's her best work. You're out of your work. mind. That's not by any what stretch. Else? Okay, this is a sad little argument that we're having. Uh, yeah, what I know. Because el- you can't even bring a title that's legit to I've talk brought, about. I've brought what? three titles Which that are legit. Are legit. Which yeah. one? Princess Diaries. Uh, Princess Diaries. No. What? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I'm going to lose this. Uh, Rachel Getting Married is great. Brokeback Mountain is great. The Devil Wears Prada is really good. She's barely in Brokeback Mountain. Um, Colossal. Did you see that? Oh, okay. It's a really good movie. I haven't seen Colossal. All right. I'm sorry. And she is the best part of last year's Ocean 8. Ocean's 8. She's, she's the not, best part. Oh my. She's the best performance in that okay, movie. Okay, how dare you. She's Kate the, Blanchett is in this film. Yeah, but she's not as memorable or interesting oh, as Anne Hathaway B. in that movie. Yes. And you know, we're going to talk about Kate Blanchett a little later today. Oh, we um, are. Who is, I'm happy to talk about her whenever you'd like. Oh, but we're going to talk about her. We're going to talk about her. Look at you but trying Anne Hathaway to gives a legitimately good performance in Ocean's 8 that is the best performance in that movie. I think that she is interesting. Is she bland Replace sometimes her with anybody when else. misused? Yes. Replace her she, with anybody else in that film and we're good to go. Well, but the, what, what argument she's is that? What, you could put anybody in any other role. No, I mean, but that's quit what, casting her because she's Dolesville. She's boring. As a matter of fact, I'm so bored I can't even hold this argument. I disagree. The I don't think she's boring. Uh, I think that she is boring when she's misused, but... But most of the time, when she's used correctly, she's okay. very, very good. I'll give you that. Perhaps she's boring when she's misused, and she's been misused for every single title that's on her IMDb that's page. That's an insane thing to say. <laughs> that's an insane oh, argument. Yeah. I am totally insane for saying that Anne Hathaway is boring. Dollsville plays the same character all the damn time and could be replaced with just about anybody else on the street and would be better. Empirically un- untrue. I guess I'm just, you know, like I said at the beginning, a friend to women, you know, and a, oh, good, okay. a good ally, I guess is the word. Okay. Yeah. That's really... Really, where you're going with this? Yeah, that's really yeah, what you're going to say. I'm, 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 <laughs> because I don't really have an, uh, well, a really compelling Anne counter Hathaway argument. does not need you to come to her aid. She's doing just fine. She's cashing the checks. <laughs> that was, that's the most absurd argument yet. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Sam, get in here and be sure and declare me the winner, please. <laughs> Actually, I don't even care if I win that's that. What I figured. Why would you care about Anne Hathaway? <laughs> Nobody else does. That was fun. Um, I was really reaching at straws for an actress that I like that you don't. <laughs> um, okay, I love how Rachel starts off with saying, okay, let's support woman, yes, but not Anne Hathaway, not this specific woman. Um, and Corey, w- uh, okay, Corey for sure wins all of the feminism points possible. Um, not really any right. Re- <laughs> Not really any regular points, but lots of feminism points. Um, he is an extreme friend and ally to all women. Let the record show. <laughs> um, but uh, in the debate, Corey kind of actually proves Rachel's point by saying she's at her best in movies when she's a sidekick to someone else, like Meryl Streep. And on her own, she just isn't that good. Uh, so let's say that Corey loses 5,000 points because she is the eighth best actress in Ocean's 8. I completely agree with Rachel that she's boring, even not depending on the role. She's just boring. Like, Catwoman's a pretty exciting role, but I hated that part of Dark Knight Rises. Um, She's boring. She does the same thing every time, like Clint Eastwood, like a younger, less wrinkled Clint Eastwood. Um, And I want to say that you both lose because The Princess Diaries is an incredible movie. Uh, but I'm going to go with Rachel on this one. But again, Corey is a friend to all women. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sam. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Rachel, what have you been watching? 
Well, I am extending um, from the last episode, and uh, and most of my watching that hasn't been festival-related happened during my trip to Pittsburgh for my uh, friends Tom and Christina's wedding. And uh, I'm in Pittsburgh, and uh, I decided to splurge the first night I was there and get a really, really super nice um, hotel room uh, with a view of the river. It was really lovely. Um, And uh, so, of course, what else do you do when you're in Pittsburgh and you have a view of the river and uh, a couple of friends staying in the room with you, but program um, what you're going to watch and of course that programming was Flashdance. Sure. Um, directed by Adrian Lyne, right? Yeah. I, I always want to say Adrian Lynn. I always do too, but I think it is Lyne. I do too. Um, that was actually a sort of a unfortunate moment when I realized that, that the, I'd been pronouncing it wrong for mm. my entire life. Um, anyway, I really love Flashdance. It mm. is so, I really do. And I, if you want to have a fight about this film in the future, we can because I can kind of see a little maybe disagreement. But it was super enjoyable. Um, and what I will do is I will say, let's hold off on arguing about whether or not this film is good because I really love it. Um, um, in case that is indeed where you're going with this. And I will just say that I want to come in support of watching films that are shot in particular cities while you're visiting that city. It was really, really lovely to see um, the beautiful Jennifer Beals drive, riding her bicycle across the uh, bridge while I'm looking out at the bridge. Um, sort of an interestingly dark film in some yeah. ways, um, certainly in regards to cinematography. And I, I highly um, recommend embracing this film again and seeing this film again. And I'll also add that um, just as another example of sort of watching a film while you're in <laughs> the correct location, it is a really lovely thing to do to go down to Panama City Beach, Florida and watch Ruby in Paradise. Hmm. One of my favorite memories of being in PCB um, is uh, not that of many people who um, their favorite memories are oftentimes, you know, sort of maybe dancing on a keg and a bikini. Uh, mine is of watching Ashley Judd's very first feature film um, when she was good, um, Ruby in Paradise, directed by Victor Nunez um, from a, in, in a hotel room. Um, and what a lovely experience that was. So I'm, I'm coming in here in support of, um, of watching films in the city that you're visiting that took place in that city. What are you watching? Well, I'm certain. First of all, I'm certainly not going to fight you about Flashdance because oh. I'm not sure I've ever seen it. <gasps> at least not in its entirety. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, that right there is a fight in itself. Okay, you've got homework. I, I've I've got homework. Uh, but fortunately, um, I just got a big new shiny television on which to do this homework, and I've been uh, doing uh, sidewalk screening on this, but I couldn't resist to uh, really test the boundaries of this new TV by, of course, uh, utilizing its 4K, you know, brilliant technology to to watch a film that was shot on beautifully grainy 16-millimeter film. Uh, that film uh, is a film I think you like very much, too, uh, from 2015, a film called Carol. Oh, um, I mean, it's, it is a perfect film. It's a perfect movie. Right? It is a perfect film. So I, I fell down this rabbit hole of listening to movie scores from the past decade or so that I really like. And the score for Carol uh, by Carter Burwell is so beautiful and evocative. The main theme is wonderful. And I I listened to that and I thought to myself, I really need to rewatch this movie. So I did it. And what else can you say other than it's perfect? It's it's a beautiful movie, uh, wonderfully performed, beautifully shot. Um, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara um, at the top of their game, I guess. It, I have, mean, when is Kate Blanchett not at the top of, a, yeah, of I mean, anybody's that's, game? That's a, I, I was thinking about this. What is your favorite Kate Blanchett performance? I mean, it would be Carol. Yeah. I don't know if it would be for me. Really? What would it be then? For many reasons, this is a problematic thing to say, but I think it's Blue Jasmine. 
Oh, boy. That sure is a can of worms you just opened. Yeah, but I think she's so excellent in Blue Jasmine. So, so excellent in that movie. But when is she not, right? Yeah. Uh, Carol Carol is wonderful. Um, Carol's a beautiful movie. Um, Todd Haynes, the filmmaker that I really, really love. And um, what what else can you say? It's just if you haven't seen it for some reason, why are you listening to this podcast? You know? Yeah, except I would I would add that I think this is a wonderful holiday film. So yeah, maybe oh, reserve totally. it for the holidays. And I will hit you up with one more thing for you to think about when you're watching Flashdance. These um as may probably doesn't come as a surprise. Um, this is all about you know women who are sort of dancing in a bar, um, and there it's not it's not exactly stripping. It's this sort of well, what it really is is performance art that should be taking place at the freaking MoMA, which is my favorite thing about this film. So just keep that in mind when you're okay. watching it. This is a dive bar that these women are like this is like high art at the top of its game for the '80s, um, and yet they're just like in the worst bar in in Pittsburgh doing these dances. So um, there is absolutely nothing connecting you to reality in the film good i prefer that and now we'd like to welcome charlie brown sanders the third to the studio for his segment film history minute with charlie brown today i'm going to talk to you guys about a movie called blowout it's a suspense thriller and it was released in 1981 it was written and directed by brian de palma the movie's plot is similar to the conversation made in 1974 in which a murder plot is uncovered via sound recording Shortly after its release, De Palma had interviewed its director, Francis Ford Coppola, for a cinema magazine, and Coppola explained that he had been influenced by the 1966 movie Blow Up, where a murder mystery is caught in a photograph. As you read the article, you can almost pinpoint the moment where De Palma has the idea for Blow Out. Using a sound recording to expose a crime is actually something De Palma had tried to do himself. As a child, he attempted to record his father committing adultery to get evidence for his mother's divorce. Blowout was conceived as a low-budget personal project, but all that changed when John Travolta became attached to the project. De Palma had given Travolta his first significant movie role six years earlier in Carrie. Travolta was now a huge star, so Blowout became a huge big-budget picture, and the script had to be heavily rewritten. The studio was pushing to re-team Travolta with his Grease co-star Olivia Newton-John, but Travolta wanted his friend Nancy Allen, who had played his girlfriend in Carrie. Travolta had been a matchmaker for Alan and De Palma, who had been married for three years, and Alan was reluctant to take the role because, at the time, her relationship with De Palma was strained, and as it turned out, they would eventually divorce, which might have been foreshadowed by the fact that in all the movies Alan made with De Palma, her character dies a horrific death. Blowout was shot in Philadelphia, De Palma's hometown, and he had written the screenplay based on his knowledge of specific locations. Shooting in Philly also gave him access to the talents of another city native, Garrett Brown, the inventor of the Steadicam, who did all the Steadicam work the first time it was used in a De Palma film. After the production wrap, the driver of the van taking the footage to the airport stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts, and two reels of the Liberty Parade sequence were stolen while he was inside. The entire cast and crew had to return to Philadelphia to reshoot the entire scene, making that a very expensive cup of coffee. Blowout earned good reviews from film critics. John Travolta considers it his best film performance, and it was the movie that prompted Quentin Tarantino to cast him in Pulp Fiction, which revived his career. Ironically, one of the reasons Travolta's career went into a nosedive in the first place is because Blowout was a box office bomb, earning only $8 million back of its $18 million production cost. At the time, De Palma was crushed by its failure, but later said, Blowout was a catastrophe when it opened, but everybody talks about it like it's one of my best movies, and I'm really very proud of it. You've got to remind yourself of your work. And if it has any kind of staying power, people will be talking about it in 30 years. What's this shit? Without the theme song, I don't know what we would do. I don't either. 
I don't either. Um, I wonder how many people sort of stop right there and go, I can't, I can't listen to another second. Fast That's just absolutely terrible. Delete from phone. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in the cardio cinema. I'm on the tread. I'm on the stage. I'm looking at the screen. I don't have a whole lot to go on because this movie was Dullsville. Um, but I'm hoping you can get it with just a few clues. Okay. It's a metal world. Like everything what? looks sharp and metal it's and cold. I'm, I'm, just thinking, Man, I'm looking at the screen. I'm seeing like, like really sharp metal buildings that look like the future. I don't know if the future is that cold and weird. I don't want to be there. All right, we're Global in a metal Army's world. Global going to take care of that anyway. Sure. But this metal world is crazy, and in this metal world is at one of the um, Helmsworths. Is that how you say it? Helms, like Miley Cyrus's, not yeah, her husband, but at Hemsworth. Oh, yeah. same difference. Uh, it's a metal world with the Hemsworth. Um, and yeah, what could this be? Um, I'm going to give you another hint. Does the Hemsworth have long hair and is he holding a hammer and is yeah. Natalie Portman and there's in an it? eye missing. Oh, um, so this, this might be Thor Ragnarok. Okay. I'm, I'm almost certain you're right. Is Kate Blanchett running around there? I didn't there? see her. I just saw a missing eye, a metal world, uh, the man with that giant hammer and one of the Hemsworths now that I'm getting Well, that he right. loses the eye in Thor Ragnarok. It's snatched right out of his head by, uh, Kate Blanchett there playing, uh, Hela, the uh, the goddess of death. She's really good in that. That's a really fun movie. Well, I think you've got it. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, like you've gone to a party or something and seen one of these um, layouts on a table, spreads on a table where they have the like little chunks of meat, like a chunk of ham. Uh-huh. That's exactly what Thor looks like to me as a little cube of ham. But he's got good comic timing for a cube of ham. It's a cube of ham with a missing eye in this one. And I think you got it right. So good work. So now it's time for Kyle's Corner. Kyle McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. Hello, everybody. This is Kyle. I am on the road to Mississippi with my pal Joyce. (laughs) Say, you just honked the horn. Thank you for doing that. Um, So, Hey, hey, everybody, she says. So I'm actually, I have a headset microphone on. This looks really cool right now, especially, I really hope like a trucker passes us and sees me. The only thing cooler would be if I was on a CB right now. So with Rachel and Corey recently bringing up John Hughes films in the past few episodes, it got me thinking how there's a subgenre of movies out there with, it's right after the Brat Pack era where these Brat Pack actors are playing young people who get wrapped up in these either adult situations or or just some sort of high stakes danger. These are movies like Wisdom with Emilio Estevez and Demi Moore, Blue City with Judd Nelson and Ali Sheedy, and Kansas with Andrew McCarthy and Matt Dillon. There's also a movie that's kind of an honorable mention. It's almost kind of like the the bridge, the transition transition between the Brat Pack movies and these kind of like uh, crime like thriller movies and that's Tough Turf where James Spader once again plays a high school preppy, but he crosses paths with like a street gang and he has to fight his way out. And I haven't seen it in years, but I remember really, really enjoying it. But that's not actually not even what I want to talk about right now. What I want to talk about is this 1986 movie called Out of Bounds, starring Anthony Michael Hall, Jenny Wright, and is directed and written by Richard Tuggle, who up to this point, his only previous directing and writing credits was um, this notoriously rapey Clint Eastwood movie called Tightrope. You might you might remember they talked about it on 80s All Over. In Out of Bounds, 
Hall plays Daryl Cage, an Iowa farm boy who flies out to L.A. to reconnect with his older brother. So at the airport, he picks up the wrong duffel bag that's packed full of many kilos of heroin, and the guy who was supposed to pick up the drugs is a merciless and crazy nut who goes on a killing spree, and he's trying to recover the bag. After his brother gets whacked, Hall reaches out to Ginny Wright, a punk rocker who he met on the airplane. She takes him in and dresses him up like a punk, and they spend the rest of the movie running from the killer and the police who think he killed all these people. Now let's back up. Up to this point, Hall had become incredibly successful due to his outstanding performances as confident but likable geeks. It seems he wanted to expand on his roles. So not much is reported on this, but he was up for the lead in Full Metal Jacket. The basic rumor is that Anthony Michael Hall just turned down the role for Full Metal Jacket. Though what I can piece together from what I've read and watched, he wanted the role, but was way more wrapped up in getting paid a certain amount of money. And ultimately, Kubrick decided that he just didn't have the patience to deal with Hall's manager, who just happened to be Hall's dad. So Kubrick dropped him and moved on to cast Matthew Modine as a private joker. So around the same time Hall was known to have gone off the rails. He was living in the Chateau Marmont. He was surrounding himself with people who constantly showered him with admiration. He was partying excessively, and he was taking on like a real dickish attitude with journalists interviewing him. Now keeping in mind, of course, that he was still very much a teenager at this age. So with Full Metal Jacket off the table, he signs on to Out of Bounds, and allegedly it's his first million-dollar paycheck. He had also signed on to Saturday Night Live to be the youngest cast member in the show's history. So when production began on Out of Bounds, he was literally working during the week in L.A. and then flying out to New York to do the show on the weekends, which is pretty stunning that he got the, the okay to do this. On the set, he was reported to be shitty to everyone, so much so that the film's crew would often refer to him as the brat and Anthony Michael Moron. He was known to feud with the director over how he would play the character of an innocent farm boy. Hall fought to play it cool and tough, whereas Tuggle had specifically written out the character to be vulnerable and sometimes scared. The end result's really hard to decipher because you can't really tell what his character is like. He's like, never really timid, but he also is never really over the top either, except maybe like in the end scene, where he drops off the bag of heroin to the police detective on the docks. He has this like squinty, like half-open looks in his eyes, and it's kind of a sleepy look, and he says something like, here's what all this death was for, and then he just drops the bag and walks away. So really, there's no like great reason to watch Out of Bounds, except because you get to have a big eyeful of L.A. punks throughout the movie, which is like eye candy to me. It's like it's almost like watching the decline of Western civilization in the middle of a narrative. Um, there's also a bunch of club scenes, and so you get to see Susie, uh, Susie and the Banshees playing. Like they're like not only just playing, they're like playing to the camera. So it's almost like a mini music video. Soundtrack nerds might be interested to know that Stuart Copeland from The Police scored this film. This would have been a second, I think, sandwich between Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish and then on the other half, John Hughes's, once again, She's Having a Baby. I find his scores to be pretty obnoxious and could really be best described as fitting somewhere between jazz fusion and like 
Wyndham Hill, that soft Wyndham Hill music. And there's also a really big emphasis on like unpredictable rhythms. Basically, he wants the listener to like be able to assume that he's like a really, really smart guy. Um, it's not for me. His work on Out of Bounds, though, thankfully, is a little bit more toned down. Out of Bounds, by the way, quickly died at the box office. Anthony Michael Hall would go on to, to star in the high school football movie Johnny Be Good, which is only good because Uma Thurman's really good in it. So that's it. Uh, I am Kyle, and I hope you've enjoyed. Thank you for listening to Brat Pack Thrillers. Bye-bye. Say, say bye, Joyce. Bye-bye. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. Man, oh man, do I love Lucy's coffee and tea. What do you think? It's delicious. You know what I like about it? What's that? Uh, you know, I am pescatarian, and all of their soups are vegetarian and oftentimes vegan. Um, so even if you eat meat, you would never know that because they're just super delicious. But I really love that about them. That's tricky to find in Birmingham. It is. And I also love Rojo. I love Rojo, too. And there's a place right down the street from where both of us live that's also really cool. What's that? Kerrigan's Public House. Like that a lot, too. And you know where I stop by on my way to any of those places? I imagine you're going to say Regions Bank. That's where our money is. The Regions ATM to get money out to go to those places. So we encourage you to do the same because all those places we just listed help us to exist. They are sponsors of the Sidewalk Film Festival, cinema, and just our lives in general. We're so grateful for their support. Uh, Thank them by supporting them, too. When you go in, give them a high five and say it's from Rachel and Corey. They will not know what you're talking about. That's cool. Everybody likes a high five. Sure. All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. Stop. All right, Rachel, it's time for the filmmaker lightning round. And in keeping with my new position as friend to all women, uh, today's filmmaker is, of course, the great Catherine Bigelow. So yeah. let's kick it off. A film by Catherine Bigelow that you love. Okay, my favorite film by Catherine Bigelow is Near Dark. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really amazing. I love it. It's beautifully shot. She she came out, um, that's her second feature, I think, but she came out of the gate really strong with that one. Yeah. Uh, my favorite film of Catherine Bigelow's is Zero Dark Thirty, which I think oh, is, is- Interesting. Um, and, you know, I've got a Jessica Chastain thing. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, as it is. Uh, but that movie is... But we should argue about her later. Oh, God. Not that I really care that much, but oh, I just think God. it'll be funny to get you riled up. Oh, my God. Um, Zero Dark Thirty is sort of the the pinnacle of her big, brash, muscular right. filmmaking. And, and I think that um, as a work of not only action filmmaking, but journalism, it's it's top notch. I think she's very good at what she does. Yeah, totally. What's a film by Catherine Bigelow that you like? Point Break. Yeah, that would be... That's not my answer. I think my answer is Blue Steel. Okay. I like Blue Steel. Blue Steel is well, a I love solid, Jamie Lee Curtis. interesting cop movie with some really fascinating subtext if you watch it in 2019, hmm. which I did this afternoon for homework. For nice. This. Yeah. Well, it's actually on my list of, well, ask me the next question. A uh, movie that, um, well, the next one is you might not like as much as other people. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought we were going somewhere different than that, but that's totally fine. I'm going to say probably both Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker, Yeah. only because people get really behind that, as you just illustrated. Um, they get behind both of those. And you know, while I all do respect, um, the war film is a little tough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, 
I there's some weak moments in both of those films. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, I guess my answer to this is Point Break, which I think is great. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I, I've never really been part of the sort of cult that, that worships that movie. I think it's gotcha. super solid, uh, really entertaining, really, really well done. Not top tier Bigelow for me. Yeah, I screened that film uh, on vacation a few years ago with a friend of mine whose parents on a beach house, and we got the uh, the luxury of going down there for the weekend, and I screened that right over the pool, um, set up a projector and everything, nice. and that was the programming that I did, and I'm pretty proud of that, and I highly recommend uh, that as a beach movie. Sure, sure. That would be a great place to watch it. And finally, uh, a film that you feel like you need to watch again. Um, and that's where I'm coming in with Blue Steel, yeah. because I don't know that I've seen that in a very, very long time. And I am a real huge fan of Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and I really want to see that again. She's excellent in the movie. Um, She's just a, a really awesome person. And, you know, you've got Ron Silver as the as the villain in that movie, yeah. who, who basically is playing like a, a day trader who turns into a werewolf, even though he doesn't actually turn into a werewolf. It's like this this gun in this this. Uh, convenience store hold up unlocks something feral and primal within him and he just turns into a serial killer and that's it. Oh, I hate when that happens. Don't you? Um, my answer to this is is not a movie I need to rewatch but a movie of hers that I haven't seen. A movie that um, many say is among her best uh, called Strange Days. Oh. Which is a difficult movie to track down. Yeah, I'm going to say that of all of my least favorite of the Catherine Bigelow, it might be Strange Days. Yeah. But, you know, I, there's a lot of people who would get in here and five minute fight me for that. Um, I, but that's just my opinion. It's a little that one's a little tough for me. Really? Um, but I again, ca- hats off to Catherine Bigelow. I think that when we get the doors to the cinema open, we should definitely do a little auteur series um, focused on her. Uh, it would be a really interesting and fun one, I think. Yeah, she's she's great. And all of her films. I mean, there's obviously the auteur stamp of Catherine Bigelow running through her entire filmography. But they're also interesting and different in, yeah. in unusual ways. Um, and and she's, you know, she's just great. What, can, what else can you say? Agreed. Thanks for listening this to this week's uh, Side Talks. We really appreciate it. We are your own personal Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, I get that. Oh, man. I don't... Do we really want to go there, though? I don't know. Anyway, somebody do a little Great Balls of Fire right here, and we'll move on. Sidewalkfest.com. Check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that stuff. And rate and review us on iTunes if you don't mind. Only if you're going to give us five stars. We would prefer five stars because, again, what's not to love? I mean, that is a really loaded question. Thank you to Batwell Studios for doing all that you do for us and making this thing happen. And thanks to Splash 96 for the wonderful music. Bye. Sees you later. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.